0: This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Hello and welcome to Bodies of Horror, the podcast where we look at all of our favorite horror films from the classic, the camp, to the cringe through the lens of disability. I'm your host, Nicole, and I am thrilled to have you here. So, what is on the examination table for this episode? 2019's Brightburn, a kind of retelling of the Superman origin story directed by David Yerveski, produced in part by James Gunn and written by James's brother Brian and his cousin Mark. I mention James's connection to the film because Jaravovsky, who had directed only one feature film at this point, had worked with both James and his brother Sean on previous projects. James and David had worked together on a TV show called Team Unicorn in 2013, and David uh, directing an episode that James was in, and uh, David directed a short video for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 in 2017, when that film was released. Sean was in David's uh, previous film, The Hive. Another fun bit of trivia is that this film came out 15 years after the Dawn of the Dead remake, which was written by James Gunn and directed by Zack Snyder, who later takes the reins of the Superman story in the DCEU, or the DC Comics Extended Universe, By directing Man of Steel, Batman vs. Superman, and Justice League. Anyways, I thought that was all just kind of an interesting thing. So I thank you for humoring me for a minute there. But we are here to talk about Brightburn. So let's get to it. And difficult for you, Lee. in the barn. Did he find it? No. It was like he was drawn to it. He may look like us. He's (gasps) not like us. So here's our plot breakdown in 2006, a spaceship crashes in Brightburn, Kansas, specifically near the property of Tori and Kyle Brier. The Briars who are unable to conceive a child look inside to find an infant. The couple adopts the child and names him Brandon. They hide the spaceship in their barn to conceal the truth from him. 12 years later in 2018, The ship begins transmitting an alien message, causing Brandon to sleepwalk to the barn. He tries to open the cellar, but Tori intervenes. Brandon begins to exhibit superhuman powers and slowly becomes more aggressive. One day, during a trust exercise in PE, Brandon falls towards a girl in his class named Caitlin Connor. She lets him drop to the ground and accuses him of being a pervert, having previously seen him in her room at night. Frustrated by her accusation, Brandon crushes her hand. That night, Brandon sleepwalks once again to the ship and breaks into the barn where it is hidden, cutting his hand on the ship. Tori follows and sees him levitating, chanting the ship's message, Take the world. Tori reveals the truth of his origin, and Brandon goes on a rampage, killing Erica Connor, Caitlin's mother, after Erica expressed displeasure towards him because he broke Caitlin's hand, police find a series of wounds drawn on a window while investigating Erica's disappearance. The next day, Brandon kills his uncle Noah by lifting and dropping his vehicle. The following morning, Tori and Kyle inform Brandon of Noah's death, but Brandon shows no emotion or empathy, angering them both. Kyle accuses Brandon of Burner and grabs him, and Brandon retaliates by violently shoving him. Kyle finds Brandon's blood-stained shirt and shows it to Tori, but she refuses to believe it. Kyle takes Brandon on a father-son hunting trip in the woods. Kyle attempts to shoot and kill Brandon with his hunting rifle, but the execution fails when the bullet bounces off the back of Brandon's head, causing Brandon to chase and kill him with heat vision. A sheriff arrives at the Briar's house and asks to see Brandon. Tori tells the sheriff that Kyle and Brandon are not home. So he shows Tori the symbol found at the scene of Erica and Noah's death. Tori finds Brandon's notebook with drawings of his murders and his message to take the world and begins to believe Kyle. She tries calling Kyle, but Brandon answers and implies he is now coming for her. Brandon returns and begins destroying the house, easily killing all cops who come to the rescue. Remembering that the ship can injure Brandon, Tori returns to the barn and discovers Erica's eviscerated body. As Brandon pursues her, Tori tries to tell him about how much she loves him. She tries to stab him with a piece of the ship, but Brandon sees it coming and avoids it. In retaliation, Brandon flies Tori miles into the sky above the clouds and drops her 35,000 feet to her death just as he sees an airplane approaching. The next day, the airplane is revealed to have mysteriously crashed into the farmhouse and the spaceship, Brandon's only known weakness presumably destroyed, with the news reporting that everyone on board was killed and that Brandon was the only survivor. During the credits, Brandon begins his worldwide attacks, which news reports cover. Brandon is also dubbed Brightburn by the media. A conspiracy theorist named Big T discusses the Brightburn incident and the existence of other superpowered beings, pleading with humanity to take action. Alright, so to talk about Brightburn, we need to take a bit of a walk and establish the link between superhero or superhuman stories and disability, because Brightburn is a superhuman origin story with Orsland. It's easy to think of disability representation in the superhero genre as being very one note and how disability is connected, particularly to villain characters. This is at the heart of a piece I'm going to link And the show notes by Kia Brown called Superhero Stories Have a Disability Problem. She does an amazing job in this piece at highlighting the fact that it doesn't take much work to think of disabled villain characters in these stories. But it does take a little bit more work to think of superheroes with disabilities. And I'm putting the emphasis on hero or really, you know, the quote unquote good guys. As I've pointed out before, I think in other episodes, it's not that disabled villains exist that is the issue, but that particularly in this kind of genre, they lean heavily on harmful stereotypes and tropes. Disability in general, scars and disfigurement, they're all viewed as being a form of punishment. And there's also this stigmatization of disability that those of us disabled want to cause destruction and chaos and overall harm because folks with disabilities in these kinds of representations lack humanity or at least a connection to empathy, understanding, compassion. Now, obviously, disability representation in the superhero, superhuman genre isn't only confined villains we have characters like professor x oracle daredevil that all have disabilities and there's obviously a lot others as well but what i find particularly interesting about them is that their disability isn't necessarily connected to their superhero abilities to kind of just explain what i mean by this very quickly professor x is a mutant. He has a very, very special skill and ability related to telepathy that has absolutely nothing to do with the fact that he is paralyzed and uses a wheelchair, completely unrelated. So, that's really what I mean by that. But, I think that there is an aspect of representation that isn't often spotlighted, which will... Finally, I think it is back to Superman and Brightburn. So, Superman's powers are connected with him being, well, you know, an alien. I think going back to the isolation and othering that can come with being disabled. These apply to Brandon and Brightburn. Like Superman, Brandon is an alien baby found by well-meaning rural Kansians and raised to be one of them. Tori specifically points out that she realized Brandon never bled as a child. No bloody noses, cuts, or scrapes that bled. Nothing. And it's only when Brandon gets cut for the first time that she tells him about how he was found. The couple of times we see Brandon go to the barn, he seems genuinely distressed and unaware of what's happening to him. Being disabled can mean our bodies are doing things that we're not prepared for, and it can be really unsettling and scary, specifically as a kid. What can make this a little easier to manage is having knowledge about your disability and how that new and exciting thing may be par for the course for you. Parents, guardians, healthcare providers, that are appropriately educating kids about their disabilities early on are giving them the ability to navigate these situations a little easier and safer. Disabled or not, medical emergencies happen, and the more info you're equipped with, the better. I find myself relating to Brandon a lot more than I should be comfortable admitting, particularly in these early scenes. We both grew up In the rural Midwest and we're very different from our family and friends around us. I can kind of understand Brandon's frustration and anger. Although the film kind of posits that all of this is new to Brandon, there's I think a couple of things that are really important to point out here. We don't really know anything about Brandon growing up. We get Little montage of home video clips of what appears to be a average kind of normally developing baby uh, and young child, but as I mentioned before, Tori points out that Brandon never bled as a kid, and I think had any kind of injury, which would be incredibly rare. I point this out only because this leads me to believe that possibly there were other aspects of Brandon's development that were different, but either went completely unnoticed by Kyle and Tori or were ignored, purposely ignored by Kyle and Tori. I want to talk more about Brandon being different, because this is something that's emphasized in a very early classroom scene. Brandon isn't really paying attention in class, but gets called on to answer a question. He answers in this very detailed way. We learn that he's a very, um, I guess, gifted student, I'm not a big fan of that terminology necessarily, when out For his birthday, his aunt, Marilee, who's a counselor at the school that he goes to, talks about how well he's been doing. So he's singled out and bullied for being, you know, the quote-unquote smart kid, but also just for being different. He doesn't really have friends. He doesn't really seem to engage with the students in what would be identified as a typical way. He sketches. He kind of keeps to himself. So... Again, really driving home the fact that Brandon is different, something that I think being a person with a disability, that was really clear for me when I was in school. So I think that this serves as a perfect segue to talk about kind of the final point I want to drive home as to why I think this is such an interesting film to discuss from a disability perspective and really why i wanted to do an episode on it and so we need to dig into a couple of these caitlin and erica scenes so in the scene that i just talked about in the classroom caitlin is a classmate of brandon's and as the other kids in the class are kind of taunting him for knowing the answer of the question and they're shut down by the teacher Caitlin, who's sitting in front of him, turns around and says, hey, pay them no mind. The smart people always kind of end up on top. And that kind of ends the scene. A couple of scenes later, when Tori and Kyle and Brandon are on a camping trip, he sneaks away to fly into Caitlin's bedroom. He plays some music on her laptop. He... Kind of hides behind her curtain and then goes away. When she gets up, turns on the light and the mom comes into the room. Caitlin tells Erica, her mom, that, you know, Brandon had snuck into the window or at least it looked like him. And she's really creeped out. So we fast forward another couple of scenes and we're back at school and we're in the PE class playing... Kind of a trust game. I think it's called Wind in the Willows. And it's about, you know, being able to trust your classmates or those around you in situations that they're not going to let, you know, certain things happen. I think this is kind of a strange game to play with kids of a certain age. Um, But that's beside the point. So Brandon has kind of taken a liking. To Caitlin, and Caitlin is creeped out because she saw him in her bedroom, and doesn't really want anything to do with them. He goes to do kind of a trust fall with Caitlin; she lets him drop, and when the teacher tells her to help him up, he crushes her hand. There's a couple of different things going on in the scene that I find really interesting. Again, we're getting the idea that Brandon is different, and now the one person that kind of said, hey, it's cool, you know, you're so cool, has turned on him. And I think this has kind of ratcheted up uh, some feelings of animosity and fear and isolation that I mentioned earlier. This is also an interesting point in kind of Brandon's trajectory of understanding his powers. He's come to understand that he has a certain strength, that he has certain abilities. He's really kind of been honing in on these. And so he purposely crushes Caitlyn's hand. Now I say purposely with that tone because I think this is also kind of going in... On Something I've talked about in a previous episode this idea of I There's a terminology for it and it's it's not coming to mind But it's this idea of like the gentle giant. It's a character that causes harm unintentionally because they don't necessarily know their own strength. This obviously has a connection to disability, which I've talked about before But we see this in superhero or superhuman stories when a character loses kind of focus or control of their superpowers. And I think there's a little bit of that at play here. He is upset, but we can't say necessarily for certain that he intends to crush her hand. He still has feelings for her, and I think he's hurt. And I think it just kind of throws him off of being able to uh, kind of keep things in check. He's emotional, and so he acts out and he hurts someone when maybe he didn't mean to take it to that, that place. I think this is something, again, that you you see as part of a trope, a stereotype with certain kinds of uh, disabled characters and it's that you know individuals with disabilities lack control restraints uh, those types of things and i see this you know very symbiotic with the idea of a superhero losing the ability to rein in their power or their ability in kind of a, a heated emotional moment Now, here's where things get a little bit complicated because the result of Brandon's actions is fear. And Brandon can see that the people around him that were insulting or taunting him are now afraid of him. In the superhuman genre, this is where we see the hero and the villain stories diverge. The villain prefers to have Individuals fear him as opposed to endure the taunts and the ridicule of those around him and feeds off of that fear. The superhero path usually includes remorse, a shame for what they've done, and will even include them completely going off the grid to separate themselves from others so that it doesn't happen again. But I think what makes this scene really interesting and powerful To me, from a disability perspective, that it speaks to an experience that I know I had as a kid, and where kids were afraid of me, especially very at a very young age, were kind of fearful um, and didn't want to play, didn't want to be around me because I was different, and they kind of feared that difference. We, you know, it's kind of a mix. Uh, for kids where it's kind of a fear of what they don't know, the unknown of someone that's different from them. Plus kind of the aversion of, of that. And we want to single out and make fun of that kid that is different. And you see both things kind of at play in this. There are kids that growing up wanted nothing to do with me and were really scared and acted afraid of me because I was different and it seemed ridiculous to me, but I think, again, it comes to the fear of the unknown. You don't, suddenly, Brandon is a real wild card. You don't know how he's going to react. And I think that that's where a lot of that fear comes from, you know, especially with disability. Well, I don't know what this disability is. Um, she's weird. She's different. I don't want to be around her. Now, this gets us into the next scene where Brandon is being punished for what he's done. And his parents, uh, along with Erica, Caitlin's mom, are meeting with school officials. And they're saying that Brandon is going to be suspended from school for a few days. And he's going to need to have some sessions with the school counselor, his aunt. Obviously, Erica is really upset by what's happened to her daughter she doesn't feel like this punishment is sufficient and she does call out you know oh so he's going to go to counseling with his aunt so you know how 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 effective is that going to be and she does make this jab at Tori and Kyle for not being Brandon's biological parents she says they don't know what could be wrong with him where because they don't know where he came from. The way that this scene plays out especially in combination with the scene in the PE class is so interesting. Like I said, I've I've been the kid that was bullied because I was different and you know, going back to my connection with Brandon. This was in a small rural school these were kids that I had grown up with that I had known for a really long time you get that kind of sense that this is that kind of community people live in this area uh, for you know a duration of their life and so Brandon even emphasizes that later when he's in a counseling session with his aunt he says my parents have always lived in this in this town so these are people that are known in the community, they've known each other, they've grown up around each other. And, um, you know, that was kind of the community I grew up in. Even though I had moved to Iowa when I was three, these, you know, the kids that I went to school with, I had gone to preschool with. And, you know, went from kindergarten to high school graduation with pretty much the same group of kids. And so these were kids that knew me. Um, And their parents knew my mom. They knew my family. And yet, you know, we still had these issues when I was going into school with parents being like, we don't want our kids around Nicole because she's different. And we don't want our kids to get what she has. Maybe it's contagious. And so I remember I think it was in kindergarten when I was starting kindergarten or maybe it was first grade my mom and I had to do like this meeting with all of the teachers and some of the parents of the kids in my class to talk about what my disability was so that the you know the the chit chat that was going on the gossip that oh You know, Nicole is starting school and she's different from these kids. And, you know, do we want her around, um, you know, our kids? Should she be in quote unquote regular school? And my mom was like, I don't have the fucking time for this. So let me actually educate you on what my child's disability is. My kid is going to be here so she can talk a little bit about her experience. And you guys can just shut the fuck up. About it and let my kid strive and thrive in this environment. And that was really important. Um, there were still some issues here and there, but I think, you know, it was a good kind of shutdown to that. And the way that Erica makes that jab at Kyle and Tori, I think really. I think it gets at the heart of, well, you don't know about your kid. You don't know what could be wrong with them. And my mom was like, I may not know everything, but I know enough about my kid and their difference, what makes them different, their disability, to be able to talk about it a lot more than you. So I don't know. There's just something that really stood out to me and really spoke to an experience of it's not just kids, you know, being afraid um, and being curious or sometimes antagonistic because I was different. It was sometimes the parents that were the assholes about things. And I was really thankful to have a parent kind of like, what Tori and Kyle do? They kind of shut her down a little bit. But, and obviously these are not necessarily uh, the same experience. We're talking about a movie where... an alien child I'm not an alien so you know mileage will vary on the comparisons but that just really stood out to me as being something that I was like oh that's a really that's a really interesting I think angle to approach this scene from it wasn't just a parent being pissed off um, about what happened to their kid, which they of course had every right to do, but it was this underlying jab that was made and the tone and the approach to it all that really stood out to me. Now, it also, I think within the film, is important to note that Erica was working at the diner where uh, they had uh, Tori, Kyle, uh, Marilee and Noah, the aunt and uncle had all gotten together for Brandon's birthday and this is really one of the first things that we see Brandon act out with any aggression without this dinner he gets a gift and from his uncle a gun he's really excited about it he wants to have it the dad Kyle is pissed off because apparently there was an understanding that maybe Brandon wasn't ready for a gun it wasn't a gift that Kyle wanted him to have but they had kind of gone behind his back and got it for him anyway. And he was upset. He didn't want Brandon to have it. Brandon um, kind of acts out a bit when the gun is taken away from him. And Erica was there and and saw it all play out. So at, plus, you know, Caitlin has said, hey, Brandon was in my room. He was in my window. So I, there's a lot of other things kind of in the background happening that don't apply to a specific situation. But I just find like the the parent not only reacting in one way, but also being like, also, you know, your kid is weird and different and it's your fault. Um, there's, I, I don't know. There, there was just something interesting about that. Also during the conversation that's happening between the parents and the principal of the school. Brandon's, I think, right outside the door. So he's probably hearing this whole exchange. And that has to be having some impact as well. Like I said, I, my mom had like this assembly with me there. And I had an understanding of what these parents were saying. And I, I don't think I fully comprehended you know the whole scope of things but you know I understood that what they were saying wasn't very nice and it didn't make me feel very good and so I found it really interesting when I was reading kind of the synopsis that you know it's uh Brandon is acting out because he 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 goes and kills Erica because she is wanting to keep Caitlin Aunt Brandon apart or at least that's kind of what Caitlin says when he goes back to Caitlin's room after he's you know crushed her hand and she's recovering she's obviously still afraid of him and you know she's like my mom don't doesn't want me to be around you and so I think the film says yeah um you know, that's one of the the factors that go into Brandon turning around and killing Erica in a pretty fantastic scene. But I, I also think it probably comes back to this as well. Him overhearing some of these comments that she's making in this meeting and it having an impact on him. So... I don't know. I, I just found those couple of scenes really really interesting and I think again were as I was watching the film and as I was thinking about films to cover on the pod, I was like, Oh, this could be this could be an interesting one. I think to kind of wrap up the conversation on Brightburn. The only other thing that really stood out to me in watching this This most recent time, and actually emphasized by going and watching the trailer, was the constant referral to Brandon as being special, a gift, a blessing. Uh, Tori does it nonstop, but even Caitlin in the classroom scene says, you know, oh, well, you're special, you're smart, you're you're going to be a success. I think it in some, in some ways, just the constant use of those phrases, I think really points out how patronizing it is. And fanalizing almost to a point, because especially with Tori, it's always followed up with, you know, you're always going to be my baby boy. And I, I, found that kind of an interesting thing to pop out at me in going back and viewing this movie. I really like this movie. I know it's kind of a mess for a lot of people. I, I think that the biggest shortcoming for me is that it really does benefit from having an understanding of like uh, the wide array of disability Connections like understanding the Superman story, and even like going back to Superman and Zack Snyder films, you know, really how they've emphasized the storyline of you know Superman kind of being feared by the population. That yeah, he's done amazing things, he's protected us, but he has these abilities that we don't understand the scope of we don't he's foreign to us so there's a lot of unknown and we're afraid of that he could turn on us at any point in time he's a wild card and so i i just found all of those you know threads coming together i think in my brain really made this film uh watch this most recent time really interesting and so yeah, I hope that you guys have kind of enjoyed this, I think, different but kind of fun episode looking at, I think, not only a specific film, but kind of a subgenre of a film, both kind of horror-related and not, that I think has a lot of connections and uh, relevancy to disability. So I do, I do hope that you've you've enjoyed that. A huge thank you, as always, to the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad for giving Bodies of Horror its home. If you haven't subscribed to Anatomy of a Scream uh, on whatever podcatcher you use, make sure you've done so. Um, as I always say, beyond Bodies of Horror, there's amazing content happening all the time. Right now, you have Right Ladies in Crisis. Uh, There's also a new series, Good For Her, which is examining some films that fall under this category of Good For Her films, which is interesting. I don't want to say anything more about it because I think it really, you, you get a lot of value just by kind of digging in to the episodes and really exploring how other people interpret the idea of a good-for-her film and what it means to different people. I've really loved that series, and, you know, White Ladies in Crisis is always a phenomenal listen, and they're continuing their coverage of physical. so just lots of good content. Make sure that you are subscribed. If you want to reach out to me, I love that. You can shoot me an email at bodies at gmail.com. I am back on my Twitter game. I am only been on Twitter for, I don't know, uh, like three weeks, four weeks, and I'm already super stressed out about it. Um, but you can follow me and some of my randomness at bodies of horror. Um, So yeah, I'm, I'm on Twitter. We'll see how long this go last, but yeah, make sure to follow me there. And of course, uh, you know, all the links will be in the show notes as well as the link to follow an enemy of a scream on Twitter. So as always, thank you so much for listening and until next time. scream pod squad